Welcome to the podcast, How to Be Well and Strong. I'm your host, Jacqueline Genova, and I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with some of the leading figures in the fields of wellness, integrative medicine, and mental health, as we discover what it truly means to be well and strong in both body and mind. Get ready to be empowered, inspired, and motivated about being an advocate for your own health. Dr. Marissa and Dr. Andrew are naturopathic doctors and co-creators of Natural Academy. Their mission is to empower individuals to achieve optimal health by reconnecting to the rhythms of nature. They provide a truly holistic approach, optimizing the mind, body, and spirit by combining ancestral wisdom with modern science. Dr. Marissa and Dr. Andrew are also the creators of Blocks, professional quality blue blocking glasses. Welcome to the show, both of you. I'm so excited to chat. As I was just saying, this has been a long time coming. It's been about three years since we were initially in contact. And I know you both wrote some awesome content for Well and Strong, actually on the topic of circadian rhythms and artificial light. So now I have you both live and in person, and I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah, very excited. And we agree. We When we stumbled up, like upon this topic, um, same thing. Like It's just so mind-blowing how much more there is than just like diet and exercise, right? Like we were, I would say, pretty heavily focused on things like nutrition, but then you realize there's this whole other circadian rhythm world um, that just like opens you up to another world of possibilities, essentially. Couldn't agree more. So with that, let's just start with the basics. What is the basic definition of a circadian rhythm and what role does light pet play in regulating it? Yeah, so it's basically a 24-hour biological cycle. So all living beings on the planet, as far as we know, have this. And for humans, we are uh, diurnal, meaning we're awake when the sun is up and then we go to sleep when the sun is down. And um, all of our biological functions are kind of tuned or timed around this. So I think of it as kind of like the master conductor of our orchestra and our orchestra being all our cells and organs. So it basically tells your body what to do and when to do it. Um, Yeah, so it's very important. It's such a foundational piece because when that's out of place, your body doesn't have like the proper, um, you know, timing or signals to know what to do. And light is the major, we call it a zeitgeber or time giver that tells our body what time it is. So that's why it's so important to be getting natural sun exposure because that light sends such an important signal to our body. So it knows, okay, it's daytime. I need to be doing this. When it's dark, it's going to be totally opposite, right? What are some common sources of artificial light that can disrupt that very sacred and precious circadian rhythm? Yeah, so artificial light is really anything in, you know, it can be a light bulb, it can be a screen like our phones, our computer, TV. Um, So often we live in an environment when during the day, it would be great if you can use natural sunlight when possible. Um, of course, office buildings, like it's not always possible to only use the the, the sun as your light. Um, so during the day, we, we will have some lights on where the biggest problem comes is that when the sun goes down and we pop on all the lights um, and in our house and we watch TV often while we're on our computer and on our phone, sometimes we're doing everything at once and just being inundated with our, all these sources of artificial light. Just curious too, have either of you heard of this company called Viva Rays? Because they they basically have these glasses with light filtering technology. There's like three different frames that you're supposed to wear throughout the day to help promote like restful sleep and boost productivity. Have you heard of them? And then secondly, are there any recommended lighting strategies, right, for different times of the day to really help put us in tune with that cycle? 
Yeah. So yeah, I have heard of Viva Rays. I'm not super familiar with their technology, but I think basically what you said, you have like different add-ons, like clip-ons to your your um, lenses, right? So you can you can vary that based on the time of day. So I think blue blocking glasses are great, but you just need to make sure they're blocking the proper spectrums. And what's most common is to have kind of like a strategy for daytime and strategy for nighttime, which are totally different because during the day you actually want to have some blue light. It's a really important signal to your body um, to tell it, okay, it's daytime and I need to do all these daytime activities. And the sun naturally has a solid amount of blue light. So you wouldn't want to be blocking that throughout the day or else you're going to get tired. Right. But at night, once the sun goes down, there really is no blue light found in nature. So that's when you want to block all of it. And you, you can use some of the strategies where you're just changing your environment. So like you're not, you know, flipping on all the lights and not on screens, but blue blockers are very helpful as long as they're blocking out all the blue. So, and, and even some of the green spectrum actually. So that's where you need more of a, a red tint. Um, so we actually started our own company called natural blocks, um, producing these types of blue blocking glasses. So we have a daytime pair and a nighttime pair, and there's, you know, plenty of other great products out there, but unfortunately a lot of them, like some of the cheap stuff you find on Amazon, they're not really putting any like science into their products. And when you test them, they're not actually blocking like any appreciable amount of blue light. So you seem to make sure it's kind of like, you know, anything, same with supplements, there's, you know, better quality, less quality. So I will include the links to this. I have my own pair. I remember, I think two or three years ago, and I use them all the time. I love them. And I really do feel like they've they've made quite the difference. If I'm home or traveling, I it's an essential I have to pack. Awesome. Are yeah. those the daytime pair that you, that you have? Yeah, I think you have the centellas, if I remember properly. Like Dr. Andrew said, like you, we want to look at like the time of day and then use them accordingly. So if you are able to get sunlight during the day, and but you're still on a screen, but the majority of your lighting is sun, you don't necessarily need them during the day, right? You really want to, um, you know, learn when your body needs them and when your body will be optimized with them, so you can use them as a tool um, based on on getting inundated with the artificial light and what time of day and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was mentioning this earlier. One thing I, I truly love about both of you is that you emphasize the importance of being in nature, right? But that also means waking up with the sunrise and going to sleep with the sunset. Can you share with listeners why that small practice is so impactful? And what are some other lifestyle strategies that you know folks can implement to, again, maintain that healthy circadian rhythm and balance? Mm, it's so impactful because we are beings of nature. We're not separate from nature, even though often we live like we are. Um, so if we're uh, being a little bit more nocturnal than than our bodies are set up to be, our circadian rhythm is going to be way off. And when our circadian rhythm is off, um, our circadian rhythm tells us when our when it's daytime so that we can have awakeness and nighttime when we can go to sleep and, and stay asleep. But the rhythm also tells each of our cells and organ systems how to function and when to function. So when we start to kind of flip-flop that and change the natural rhythm of our body, we start to see health detriments happening. And it's really evident in people who like um, do this long-term. Like shift and, workers. Yeah, especially. especially shift workers. You can really see that their health starts to deteriorate. And a lot of times we can get away with this when we're young. Like we can party all night, sleep all day. It doesn't really impact us because we're so resilient when we're young and we're still resilient as we age, but our body starts to speak to us a little bit louder than it was when we were younger. Yeah. And in the morning, um, so getting that morning sunlight is, is one of the most impactful things you can do for your health. And it sounds 
like it's too simple to be true. And a lot of people, they don't really, you know, they don't believe us until they actually implement it. But that first like hour of that sunrise, it's, it is the major Kickstarter for your circadian rhythm. So it's that signal that's saying, Hey, it's time to get up and get all of these um, processes in order. So you have, you know, various different spectrums going on. So you have some blue light, which helps to stimulate cortisol release from your adrenal glands. So that helps you, you know, helps get you moving and going for the day. Um, you also have some red and infrared light, which helps to supercharge your mitochondria. You also have a bit of UVA at that time, which helps with neurotransmitter release um, and production and all sorts of stuff. Like there's, it's actually crazy how much just being outside for five or 10 minutes can impact your entire physiology. There's a lot of like sun phobia these days, but I would say as long as you're not burning, um, get as much sun as you can. It's super important for you know every aspect of your biology. And then nighttime, you basically do the opposite. You don't want to have any of that light. So just respect the darkness. I love that. I couldn't agree more. And that has become a staple in my morning routine is getting sunlight literally within the first 20 minutes of waking up. I will go outside. Even if it's cloudy, it does make such a difference. And do you have any tips for people who live in, again, like those cloudy regions like Washington, where they may not be receiving direct sunlight in the morning? Are there any other substitutes, perhaps like a red light that they could use in the morning upon waking? What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd say still get outside because even though there is cloud coverage, the sun can still get through. Um, so even those um, like sad lamps, they're they're giving you off sometimes like 10,000 lux. Have you heard of those sad lamps? Yes. Okay. So yeah. So the amount of lux, like the, the light that they're letting through is very comparable to a, a cloudy day. Like we can still get that amount from the sun, even on a cloudy day. So yeah, it's even, even less from those. Yeah, yeah from the lamps. Yeah. So I'd say like, don't be discouraged, even though there are clouds, know that the sun is still very powerful and coming through to give you, to bless you with its light rays. Um, but yeah, there are so many tools like the natural, natural blocks, like the blue blocking glasses. It's a tool that you can use. There's another tool like red light panels. Those are incredible. And we have one too. And and when even especially in the winter, when it's like cloudy day after cloudy day after cloudy day after cloudy day, we're still going outside and getting our our sun. But then we also supplement with the red light therapy, the red light panel. And we use that usually in the morning sometime to really give our bodies that extra boost that we're desiring, especially we're in Canada. So we get a long, gloomy winter often. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I love that. And again, I also use red light therapy in the morning. Going back to the folks who work night shifts or have a regular sleep schedules, I'm assuming that red light therapy would be something that's helpful for them to help regulate their circadian rhythm. Are there any other practical tips um, or strategies that you could offer, again, for someone who has to work those night shifts? My my best friend is um, still finishing her residency and just this past week, she was like, yep, starting to work night shifts and she'll do two weeks on and two weeks off. And obviously it's so challenging, right? To get your body back into that balanced state. So I guess what other tips do you have for, for night shift workers? Yeah. So I, I always preface like when I'm speaking to patients or anyone who has um, issues related to night shift working, you can only do so much. So I do recommend like if it's possible to try to get away from that because long-term there are going to be health consequences no matter what you do. And that's just the reality of being that disconnected from your natural cycles. But obviously there are some tools that could mitigate the damage to some degree. So the way I look at it, there's three main things that stimulate your circadian rhythm and like kind of promote wakefulness. So one would be light, like we spoke about, and that ideally is sunlight, but if not, you can use other tools like the red light therapy or sad lamps, et cetera. The other one is exercise. So any type of exercise when you're trying to 
um, start your day is really helpful. And then also food. So having some sort of food intake. So whenever you're trying to, like, I guess it depends on what your schedule is, but if you want to be awake, try to do those three things within, you know, an hour or two of waking. So get some natural light, get some, some movement or exercise and eat some food. And then when you're trying to wind down and go to bed, even if that's not, you know, when it should be at nighttime, if it's, you know, all mixed up, then you're avoiding those three things. So you want to keep your environment nice and dark or use blue blocking glasses. You don't want to eat. Try to give yourself a good two or three hours before that time of not eating. And then you don't want to be doing intense exercise either. So like light movements are fine, but you're not going to do like a CrossFit workout and then try to go to bed 30 minutes later. It's not going to work. So I try to use those three main, uh, those are also called the zeitgeibers or time givers that help to synchronize your circadian rhythm. And it's amazing too, with how, how fast the body can rebound and recover. So even on those two weeks where your friend is not doing night shifts, I would encourage her to shift as much as possible back to the natural rhythm of being awake during the day and asleep at night. Um, there might be a little bit of a roundup period at the end of her two weeks off that she wants to get a little bit more used to being awake at night. But I'd say, you know, start to shift as quickly as possible. And then you start to see the sunrise or at first thing in the morning, when you wake up, whenever that ends up being, as you adjust, go outside consistently through the day, tell your body what time of day it is. And then at night, she'll have to like really hammer down on having a dark environment. So it really tells her body what time it is. So you're basically physically manipulating the circadian rhythm when you're working night shifts to tell your body that it's daytime in the night. And then as soon as she's done flipping it backwards again, and then allowing that body to recover as uh, during that two week period of off. I love that. Very helpful. I'll definitely be sharing that um, those tips with her. And Dr. Drew, you had mentioned before, and I did want to just touch on this topic, the, the importance of not eating two to three hours before bed. Um, mm-hmm. Some folks say even as much as four. Can you elaborate on the significance of that to listeners? Yeah. So basically when you put food into your mouth, then it's going to start all of these digestive processes. So your stomach's going to have to produce stomach acid, your pancreas is going to have to produce enzymes, your liver is going to have to produce bile. So you're kickstarting your circadian rhythm in that sense. And eating should be a daytime activity. So we're biologically designed to eat most of our fuel during the day. Um, And based on your circadian rhythm, that's when you're going to be most efficiently digesting food. But when you do that at night, it kind of you know, throws things out of whack because your body's saying like, hey, I need to wind down and go to bed. And you don't want to be focusing on digestion because that's a very energy intensive process. You want to be focusing on uh, recovering and rejuvenating when you're sleeping, right? So um, eating too close to bed just kind of throws that whole system out of whack. And you'll notice your sleep quality is not as good. So I, I often say two to three hours for patients just to make it you know, easier, but I would agree probably closer to like four is ideal. And I know personally, when I have like a really early dinner, if I'm done eating by like five ish, um, that's when I have the best sleeps. But in Western culture, we just tend to have like late dinners. That just seems to be a thing here. And that's usually the biggest meal of the day. So even if you can't change the timing of your dinner, um, the size helps too. So just decreasing the amount of food. So it's, or things that are more easy to digest, um, that, that can also be very helpful. And I also would, would caveat that with not going to bed hungry either, because you don't want to go to bed in a very hungry state either, because that could be a little bit stressful on the body too. So you want to eat your biggest meal or uh, uh, the bigger meal like dinner earlier. But if you're hungry when you're going to bed, maybe have something like a handful of, of I don't know, like nuts or something like that, that gives you some some carbs, some a little bit of protein to give yourself some fuel because you don't want to be kind of hungry, hungry when you're going to bed either, because that can disrupt sleep too. Not to get off on a different path, but 
the subject of intermittent fasting. There's so many benefits to it, but then also the other side of the spectrum, we hear that certain, I guess, subsets of patients, e.g. women in particular, due to hormonal issues that could arise, should avoid intermittent fasting. What are your general thoughts on that? And also, too, how does that affect our circadian rhythms? Yeah. So like you said, I think there is a big difference between male and female physiology in terms of fasting. So for males, I'm more likely to recommend it, but it really depends on the individual. So um, if someone has a lot of adrenal stress going on, intermittent fasting can act as a bit of an additional stress. So in that type of situation, or maybe like blood sugar dysregulation issues, it probably wouldn't be good for that person to do intermittent fasting. Um, I think everyone, basically everyone could stick to like, I I call it more time-restricted eating versus intermittent fasting, where you're eating within a 12-hour window or less. I think that's kind of like the baseline that I aim for most people. And then from there, it's going to be very individual. So, you know, people who are more overweight, I might recommend a more aggressive eating window. Um, Females, um, probably not going to go as aggressive on that. But you seem to kind of experiment and see what works for you. Um, I would say the most important part is just not eating late at night from a circadian perspective. Um, And having, like, it's, it's kind of a debate whether you should eat first thing in the morning or not. Um, we have recently switched more to that. We used to be, you know, skipping breakfast and then having like a lunch and dinner, but we feel much better having breakfast, lunch, and then like an early dinner. So that that's been working for us, but just experiment, see what works for your body. I think, I think the most important thing is honoring your body and honoring your body's hunger cues. Cause you can look at the research and say, you know, oh, this, this is good, right? It's like, oh, I, I read something and this is good. I'm going to do it. And then you're, you're very lethargic in the mornings or you're, you feel like you're dragging all day until you have your first meal or you're starving, but you're like, I can't eat till 11 or whatever, right? So it's, it's, it's honoring your, your body's hunger cues is the most important. And like, like Drew said, it's like, you want to have some sort of, you don't want to be eating all night either but we don't want to be restricting ourselves too much either. So I'd say one of the most general rules of thumb I give is just eat with the sun. When the sun is up, eat, or at least check in with your body if it wants to eat. When the sun goes down, check in with your body still. If, it, if you're hungry, like I said, then then nourish yourself. But otherwise, maybe that's the time to step away from food and give your body that break and shift into more of like the detoxification and the cellular turnover that happens when our body isn't working on digesting and it's going into that, those evening processes. I love those. And yeah, I mean, quite honestly, up until I want to say two or three years ago, I would be one of those people where I woke up in the morning. First thing I grabbed was that cup of coffee, full caffeine. And it wasn't until later that I realized you should never consume caffeine on an empty stomach because that can actually increase blood sugar and over time promote insulin resistance. So I also have shifted and now I also do eat breakfast in the morning and then tend to just stop my eating window around, you know, 5, 5.30. And similar to what Drew said, I experience a much better night's sleep when I'm in a semi-fasted state. So definitely agree with all of that. Also too, what are your thoughts on supplementing with melatonin? Yeah, personally, I'm not the biggest fan. Um, with most of those things, if your body is making it, then you should try to promote um, your body's internal uh, production of those things and release. I think there is a time and place. So I know in like, uh, we don't do a ton of like integrative cancer stuff, but um, that would be one example where melatonin has pretty good research for helping with with cancer. But otherwise, um, I find a lot of people 
well, I guess it's individual. Some people take it, it really helps them and, and knocks them out. Other people, they take it and they don't really notice a difference. And a lot of the research shows it's not even that effective as a sleep agent. Um, so yeah, it's kind of individual. I would opt towards using things like botanicals or maybe other natural nutraceuticals that aren't going to necessarily like downregulate your endogenous production. And I know even that's a little bit debatable, but I try to just stick to, you know, promoting your body to, to make its own melatonin as much as possible. I would say the one area it may be helpful is jet lag when you're trying to get back onto a rhythm. So using it for a few days to help reset that circadian rhythm, but not using it long-term. Yeah, I've also had a couple of patients report that if their sleep has been off for, for a little period of time, um, using it as a tool, almost like your jet lag, like almost just using it as a tool to re-regulate your circadian rhythm and then coming off of it and then sticking with those like darkness cues and really allowing your body to produce its own melatonin. You can use it as a tool to come in, fix what it needs to fix, help you help you to re-regulate and then come out again. It is a very potent antioxidant. That's why there's so much great research like in cancer, um, very many other other conditions as well. It's great because it's such a potent antioxidant. So we really do want to be producing it on our own, not only just for that good night's sleep, but also for so many other benefits in our body. And our body's really good at producing it. We just need to give it those darkness cues. Couldn't agree more. And my mom actually, in the context of cancer, has been supplementing with that 20 milligrams a night. And you'll hear cases where people supplement with up to 100 milligrams, specifically with cancer cases, but it's, it's very powerful. I personally, too, have been using homeopathy. I kind of jumped on the homeopathy train last year. My, my eyes were opened and I just find it to be one of the most fascinating areas that I've ever you know delved into. And one of the remedies, Coffea Cruda, has been shown to help people who suffer with insomnia. Have either of you had any experience with homeopathic remedies? We love homeopathy. Yeah. Well, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Huge fan. Yeah. You know, you have to be really, um, you have to love it to love it because when it works, it works. And then when, when you don't get the right remedy, it just doesn't work. It just, it's not like it helps a little bit. I'm not really sure. It's like it either works or it doesn't. So you need to have the right remedy, um, and, and really delve into it. So that's what I mean. Like when you love it, I, I do so much research on it. So then I keep getting better at prescribing it. And then I keep seeing amazing results with it. I love homeopathy. It's so gentle but still so profoundly effective. And the other thing I love about it is it's not one of those things that you have to take forever. Like, you know, it comes in, it does its job and then it's done. You're done with it. And then you use it as a tool as needed moving forward, which I just love because I find that more empowering for people that you're not relying on this external thing for the rest of your life, potentially, you know, it's like, it's coming yeah. in, doing his job and leaving. And that's amazing. You're going to laugh. I have Robert Murphy's Materia Medica. It's like, a thousand pages just sitting on my desk and I haven't even skimmed the surface of it, but I'll, I'll include some uh, links in the show notes for listeners on that. And anytime friends come to me and they say, Oh, I'm taking, you know, Benadryl just so I can sleep at night or some other sleep aid. I'm like, no, cafe Acruda, start now. It will change your life. And (laughs) it's always rewarding. Love that. Going back to just optimizing your sleep at night. Are there any tips that both of you have to ensure a solid night's sleep. So obviously we discussed the importance of cutting out artificial light. I know it's also very important to sleep in total darkness. I sleep with a sleep mask that really basically covers half my face. So I am in pitch black at night. Are there any other tips in terms of like temperature we should be sleeping in or other hacks to promote, you know, again, just a a good night's sleep? Yeah. 
So sleeping in a cool environment is very important. Everyone's going to have a little bit of a difference. Like some people like super cold and like to bundle up all the blankets, but I, I don't think anyone sleeps well in a warm environment, right? So you, it needs to be cool. Um, also, yeah, like, so like you said, with the lights is very important. One thing people don't talk about a lot is the EMFs. So if you have a lot of electronics in your bedroom, like say you have your um, cell phone on, it's not on airplane mode beside your head, you're constantly getting a bit of that um, exposure, radiation exposure. And that's one thing. Um, so we actually have our Wi-Fi on an automatic timer. So it just turns off every night. That's probably the easiest way to do it because that's one of the major exposures for most people in their house. Um, so that's big. And then the other thing I would say is decreasing your cortisol and getting into a relaxed state. So one of the biggest issues we find with people who have issues falling asleep is that monkey mind. So as soon as their head hits the pillow, their mind just starts going like crazy. So doing something, having a bit of a routine to wind down at night, and that's where it's helpful. So like blue blockers are great for the light part of it, but if you're still scrolling on Instagram and looking at like stimulating content or watching, um, you know, a, a thriller TV show with your blue blockers, you're still going to be like riled up and your mind's going to be racing and you're going to have difficulty sleeping. So we'd recommend more calming activities at night. So maybe it's like reading a book or doing some stretching or meditating or whatever it is. But that's also a really important piece that doesn't get talked about enough. The nervous system is so highly uh, important with sleep, right? So we can do, be doing all the, like like Andrew said, like we could be doing all the nighttime hacks that we know, but if we're still mentally stimulated, you won't have a great sleep. Um, and the other thing, just going back to the temperature, I see so many women, especially postmenopausal, who are just so hot at night and they're innately hot, like their body changes and, and you get hot flashes as you age typically. Um but they're sleeping at, you know, uh, 23 degrees or 24 degrees at night. And it's like the body, the body doesn't like, like in nature, the, the, the temperature of, of our environment naturally cools at night. So we do want to mimic that. So, um, if you're sleeping with in, in Canada, we use Celsius. So I'm just going to speak to that because I don't know the Fahrenheit, but for us, it's, if you're sleeping, I, I like to do 17 degrees Celsius, which for some people is like, oh my God, that's freezing, but it's amazing. Like you get cozy under your blankets and you, you know, your body's able to really downregulate. And often what happens is we wake up in the morning a little bit warmer because naturally as the sun comes up, our body temperature mimics that and starts to get warmer. And that's a wakeful cue for us. So we really don't want to be giving our body those like wakeful cues with warmth in the middle of the night. For listeners, I just looked it up. 17 Celsius is 62.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And that quite honestly, Marissa, is what I like to sleep in as well. I'm, Amazing. I'm a cool sleeper at night. Amazing. I love that. And I'm also um, glad that, Drew, you touched on the importance of limiting EMFs at night. I live in an apartment. So, I mean, I guess I, I don't have much control, right, over the people that live above me or next to me. But I myself unplug my Wi-Fi every night. Do you have any other tips for people who live in buildings, again, where they can't really control outside of their own apartment walls? Yeah, we can really only control what we can control. So when I lived in an apartment prior to, I drove myself crazy because, you know, I wanted to go knocking on doors being like, please. <laughs> but um, yep. honestly, yeah, <laughs> but you can only control and like the, the most exposure is what's closest to you anyways. Um, so of course, your own Wi-Fi router, turning that off helps you and your neighbors. <laughs> but also making yes, sure there's no actual plugs like near your bed. So you're not charging your computer next to your head. You're not charging your phone next to your head, right? You're really making sure that those plugs, first of all, nothing's plugged into them, but also they're not close to your body. So if you look behind your headboard, is there a plug? 
And are you using it? Because if you're using it, there's more of an electromagnetic field. Um, but even the fact that there's a plug there can emit some. So just move your, the, we want some distance between you and the EMF. So just move your bed away from the wall if there is one or rearrange your your uh, bedroom for better feng shui with, <laughs> without the EMFs. And then of course, having your phone on, especially a lot of people sleep with it right on the nightstand, right beside your head. So ideally airplane mode, um, I do get a lot of resistance for airplane mode in the night. <laughs> so if, if you can't put on airplane mode, then move it away from your body. We just want that distance from the, all these EMFs away from your body as much as possible. These days too, I don't know what it's like in the States, but these days I see so many 5G towers going up, um, these cell phone t- towers that are going up on buildings. Like they're not even on their own pillars anymore. They're, they're physically on the buildings, on the top of your building. So I'd say, check that out too, because if there's something, if, especially if you're on the top floor and there's an actual 5G tower on your your building, I'd consider moving personally. Like there's really, there's so many, there's like yeah. some tech, I've, I've heard of Aries tech. And what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Because I know like they say, oh, it's shielding technology and they have all of these studies listed. And I mean, it seems convincing, but can can we really know for certain that it's protecting us against something so strong? Yeah, so some of them, I think there's a lot of devices out there, and some of them are better researched than others. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them are just scams. But um, yeah, some of them do some pretty solid research, like double-blind research showing like undoubtable effects. So, And the way a lot of them are working is not blocking the EMFs. So that's like a totally different thing, where if you can put up like, shielding paint or have certain uh you know things that like physically shield the emfs then there's other ones that are more strengthening like positive uh electromagnetic fields like either within your own body or your environment to kind of counteract that so not really impacting the quantity of the emf but improving the quality which is something that scientists were still like figuring that whole thing out it's more of like in the physics realm with personally, I don't really understand as much, but um, yeah, yeah, I think some of them are great. So biogeometry, I would say, I think they're very legitimate. It's another one called uh, Leela quantum, but looking into those two, I would say, you know, those are two good options for people. And I, uh, we also have a EMF meter and we tested one of our friends had a blue shield um, cell phone case and we tested it with the EMF meter and it actually did decrease EMFs quite a bit. And he was still able to get, um, signal like cell phone signal which i found quite interesting um and i did that as well to the i think it was called aries tech yes that's what i have i have one sitting right next to me on my wall amazing yeah it's pretty to look at i haven't actually tested it though but i'm just trusting their uh their research there yeah i think that they do pretty good i i haven't we haven't we don't have anything because we just use everything on airplane mode we're like always (laughs) <laughs> very aware but um we should we should we, we, we have a biogeometry oh yeah kit. we do have something <laughs> <laughs> nice i mean i also think it's really important to recognize that like just like you said marissa like we can't control certain things and we can't worry about it right and i'm always mm-hmm. telling my mom like the stress and the worry about something bad is often worse than the bad thing itself, right? Like drinking out of an aluminum can, if you go out, you're drinking seltzer, like there's only so much we can control. And I think it's really important for people to understand that, right? And to not feel like you have to live in this bubble and that everything's going to hurt you. Because again, the stress from that has more of a detriment to your health than the thing itself. Absolutely. I think um, you really have to reevaluate. And when you're listening and hearing all these, these things about health, 
let it empower you as, as opposed to disempower you. Because when you start to live in fear, as you said, that stress is so negative and it negatively impacts our health too. So when you do notice that you're getting wrapped up in the stress of it all, take a deep breath, take a step back and see how you can use this information to empower you. Shift the perspective so that you feel empowered with this information. And even if it's just like a little less, right? I'm going to get a little less toxic. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to detox a little bit more today, right? It's like these, these little steps that we can make will never be perfect, especially in society that we live in. We could do everything right. And then step outside and breathe in the air that, you know, might be toxic and we could like drown in all these thoughts. Like it's so hard So just let it empower you. Take some actions towards bettering your health a little bit today and a little bit more tomorrow, right? And it's just it's just going to compound on, on itself and leave the rest because it can get quite stressful. I mean, that's just a beautiful approach to all things health and wellness, right? We have people that are just starting their wellness journeys and they're just inundated with all of this information on the best diet and the best water filter. And you have to detox from all these different things to be healthy. And it's very overwhelming. And quite honestly, it makes people kind of want to like wash their hands of it and say, I you know, I don't have time for this. But to your point, it's really just about making those small steps, like for circadian rhythms, getting sunlight first thing in the morning. And as people start to feel better, they'll start to want to integrate more of those steps, right? And then it's not necessarily, it, it becomes habit to them, right? It's not a chore. So mm-hmm. I, I love that. And I couldn't agree more. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I want to be cognizant of your time, but I'm very excited to share this with listeners. I know it's going to help quite a few people. Where can listeners find you both? Yeah, so we're on Instagram, um, Natro Academy, N-A-T-U-R-O Academy. Um, And then I have my own account too, Dr. Marissa Canning, Um, Dr. Andrew doesn't share as much on his personal. He's he's actually more of the brains behind Natural Academy too. So he's mostly sh- posting on there and sharing on there. We do have some great blogs out and some information, and we're going to be picking up the pace on on sharing our own podcast as well. So we have a podcast, Natural Academy podcast. I think it's called. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So. I listened to it yesterday. Um, yeah. No, I listened to it yesterday. It was great. I'll include that in the links, um, show notes, links as well. Thank you. Yeah, we we just talk about subjects that light us up and we just share what we know. And it's it's so much fun to talk about that kind of stuff. And we're getting some really great feedback, too. So we're going to be putting a lot more of that out and we're going to be putting stuff out on YouTube. So, yeah, we're going to be turning up the, the notch a bit on our content coming up soon. So we also Yay. have some more information about blue light and circadian rhythms on our natural blocks website. Um, and that's where also you can check out those products if you like. But we have like a uh, info page about just everything about blue light and circadian rhythm and all that kind of stuff. So that's naturalblocks.com. Wonderful. I will include that. And my last question for you both is what does being well and strong mean to you? I'm going to put you on the spot here. (laughs) I think for me, uh, the word that comes to mind is resilience. So kind of like we were talking about with, with all of this stuff. um, Yeah. There's, there's so many things in our environment that, can, you know, and theoretically should kill us, all the toxins we're consuming, all the EMFs, the blue light, all this stuff. Yet, most of us are walking around in, in pretty good health. And that's just a testament to how resilient our body is. Um, and especially, I don't think it takes that much, right? You just need to focus on the basics. We we think that connecting to nature is probably the most important thing you can do. So eating natural food, getting plenty of sun exposure, standing barefoot, social connection, that kind of stuff. It's really simple at the end of the day. I know there's a lot of things that can get a little bit more complicated, but focusing on that stuff to improve your resilience, 
um, so that you can handle all these other stressors, whether it's physical or psychological stress or the, all the toxins, um, we can't avoid them. So focusing more on your resilience through connecting to nature. Yeah. And for me, being well and strong means authentic, being your truest, most, you know, best self, the way that you can show up for yourself and really feel good in, in your skin. Um, yeah, that's it, it, being well, well and strong. Just it's just being stepping forward into yourself. That's what it means for me. I love that you both just said two really beautiful things that again represent well and strong itself: the resilience and the authenticity. And my symbol for my site is actually an olive branch, and I didn't know this before choosing that. But olive trees are incredibly resilient; they can withstand a lot more than we ever thought they could. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. There's some really old, beautiful olive trees in Europe, like over yeah. hundreds of years old. They're incredible. Yeah. I want to get one for my apartment, like a little one. I'm starting to invest more in plants to spruce everything up. And I was like, oh, an olive tree. That would go perfectly. And it's yeah. cute too. So yeah, yeah you more need to one. come on that. <laughs> I do. Well, thank you both so much. Um, it was such a pleasure chatting with you. And I'm, I'm excited to have you back on because as I said, they're so many things I want to pick your brains on, but I'm, I'm really glad we got to cover this topic. Yeah, thanks for having us. This yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy we got to meet you like this too. We've been connecting online for so long, so this is fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to support the show, please subscribe, leave a rating and review, and share it with others. Be sure to visit wellandstrong.com to access notes from the show and to stay current with new content. I'm so grateful you joined me. Be well and be strong.